Well, good morning, Sailorville. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you, you can find Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue in our series, The Church That Walks with God. And as we do so, uh, I want to start by praying because, um, well, we do that these days before we preach anyway, but today is, uh, is, is a special international Pray for the Persecuted Church Sunday. All around the world, especially in that 1040 window, if you're not familiar with it, you check it out, uh, Christians are being persecuted. They're being tortured. They're being maimed. They're being executed for their faith in Jesus Christ. We don't have that experience here, but it's real. And, uh, and God has called us to pray for our brethren, brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for the gospel's sake. So let's think about them today and beyond the day. And by the way, up on our social media platforms uh, today, sometime today, you'll see a little six-minute video by Voice of the Martyrs. If you don't have Voice of the Martyrs magazine or their free email that comes, you should get it. It's very informative. It's very helpful. It'll keep you attuned to what is going on around the world in these suppressed countries. And so with that in mind, let's start with a word of prayer, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we love you and bless your name for your goodness to us and how good you have been to us. Here placed in a country that is indeed free. We have elections coming up in a couple of days where we get to choose uh, who we want uh, and we get to cast our vote. We're, that, just, that just doesn't happen and hasn't historically in the history of man until just the last couple of hundred years and we're so grateful to have these freedoms, Lord, and we do not want to take them for granted. We want to be good patriots, but more importantly, faithful followers of Jesus. And as such, we are reminded today, Lord, that there are your church, Lord Jesus, is suffering in this world. And I pray, we pray corporately that your grace would be upon your children in these suppressed countries where they're being hurt for their faith. Be with them in a special way, Lord. Let their light so shine before men that they may see your good works, dear God, glorify you, and be saved. We pray that they would, you would not just cause these people to go into hiding, but to be used of you and for your glory. And now, Lord, bless us as we get into your word. We continue in our series in Ephesians, and we look at what it means to walk in the Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 5. Well, you got an extra hour of sleep last night. The spring took away from you, so what'd you do with it? What'd you do with that hour? Actually, a New York Times writer asked that question. She put that out there asking her, her readers what they did with that extra, so to speak, hour you get on daylight savings time when you fall back. And she had a bunch of answers, but her favorite one, I think mine too, was a woman who said that she never changes her clock on Sunday until she gets to a place in the day where she wants that last hour back. That's pretty cool. Clever, even. But we really don't ever get time back, do we? I, I was just thinking about this as we come to our passage here today that talks about time. And I was just thinking about our culture. What our culture and time do? We, have the, we live in the craziest, scurrying, hurrying about culture in the history of man here 
right here in the United States of America. I'm actually reminded of, a, of, a, of an old African proverb that goes like this. It's called uh, when the sun comes up. Uh, so when the sun comes up in Africa, a lion wakes up. He knows that if he doesn't outrun the slowest antelope, he's going to starve. Every morning in Africa, an antelope wakes up. He knows if he doesn't outrun the fastest lion, he's going to get eaten. So if you're in Africa, it doesn't matter whether you're a lion or an antelope. When you get up, you better be running. We have a running culture. I remember the first church I pastored, I, I talked to my predecessor. He said, tell me about the church. I said, oh, he goes, oh, man, it's a going church. I said, is it a going church? He goes, yeah, everybody's always going somewhere. That's not what I meant. What if, what if in the wisdom of God, we slowed down enough to understand what it really means to be filled not with crazy schedules, but with the life of God in us and in our church. And by the way, the book of Ephesians is written to the church. This is why it tells us at the end of chapter three that the glory of God should be in the church. But like bad eating habits, we tend to settle for lesser fills, lesser fulfillments, and they're not always healthy ones. Can I get a witness to that? Many of us, many of us have settled for culture's cheap but ever-growing substitute fillers, fulfillments that keep our schedules full and our hearts empty. What if we could learn how to walk in the Spirit and what if that would develop deeper and more meaningful relationships, both with God and with one another? And I'm here to say today, on the basis of the scripture, it's possible if you'll give yourselves to it, walking in the spirit. And this is where we left off in our exposition of Ephesians 5 and verse 15, where it says, look carefully, then how you walk. We're talking about the church that walks not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are what? You better believe they are. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodas, melody, to the Lord with, our, with your what? With your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are talking about what it means to walk in the spirit, okay? To walk in the spirit requires three things from this passage. First of all, making the best use of your gift of time. Time is a gift, right? And look, that's what he says. Make the best use of time, beginning of verse, making the best use of time, beginning of verse 16 there. 
So the Greeks in Paul's day when he wrote this, the Greeks had a God, uh, what they called a God of opportunity in, their, in the Greek you know, pantheon of gods in Greek mythology, Zeus, Zeus's youngest son was a guy by the name of Charis or Kairos. He's depicted in both literature and in art as, uh, as having uh, always on his tiptoes. He's got wings on his feet to show how fast he is. And he's got, wait for it, a reverse mullet. I put that out there in the day where mullets are coming back. Ugh. Anyway. Sorry, no offense you mulleters or whatever you want to call yourself. This dude, yeah, this dude has a forelock. Did you see that in the picture? It's a, it's, a, it's a long piece of hair in the front of him. There's no hair in the back. Reminds me of the guy that discipled me. His name was Tom Hammond. I mean, a great guy, but uh, this was back in the days of the comb-over. Remember the comb-overs? Oh, wow, we're glad those are gone. Sorry if you still have one. Tom was uh, teeing up a shot, was, was, was hit in the middle of the fairways like this, and, and a gust of wind came, I kid you not, it took the hair that he had going across. It would have gone down to his chin, I'm, I'm sure of it. He had a forelock. Could have been like Karis here. Here's the deal. He's, he was called the God of opportunity because as he approached you swiftly, you had to grab the opportunity, grab the forelock, so to speak, because if he got by you, there's nothing to grab behind him. Bald in the back, just like some of you are, forget it, I'm not even gonna go there. But that's the point of this, this Greek God that everybody would have known about in Paul's day. This God of opportunity. And it's interesting that the Greeks had two ways to talk about time. The, the one way, you're very familiar with this word, is the word chronos. We got a word chronology, it's sequential time, linear time, you know, ding, 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 ding. The other one is the word used here, and it's the word for the Greek god, kairos. And that means an opportune time. It's used a bevy of times in the New Testament. Like one time, it says, it says, uh, it says, and Whenever you have opportunity, kairos, do good to all men, especially the household of faith. That's what Galatians 6.10 says. And then for those of you who do not know Jesus, you're sitting here, you're, you're, you're listening, but you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you need to hear 2 Timothy chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, where Paul says, now is the accepted what? Kairos. Now's your opportunity. Now's your time. Snatch it. Now's the day of salvation before it gets by you. When he says making the most of the opportunity in our ESV, actually, the literal translation, the old King James shines on this one. It literally, it gives a literal rendition of this Greek text. Redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. That's what it means. It's the same word as, as is used for the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. It means to buy. It means to purchase. Practically, it means to snatch up the opportunity in the moment it presents itself. Have you ever looked back and said things like, oh, I wish I would have made that purchase in that moment, traded that stock, 
taken that job or spoken to that friend before she died. That's opportunity that you're never gonna get back. When we don't redeem the time, the true God of opportunity, the living God, when we don't redeem the time that he puts before us, then we are staring regret right in the face. And the reason he says it's so important, look what he says, redeeming the time because the days are what? They're what? They're evil. The implication, by the way, is that when we don't redeem the time, we're actually promoting, we are promoting the mold that grows in our society. Just as we talked about last week being a light, and light is like a disinfectant, when we redeem the time, we are making the most of those opportunities that God brings before us to make a difference in our world. And if we don't, that's on us. That's what the text is saying. But hey, our woke culture is facing a wake-up call on Tuesday, amen? I was baiting you. Don't kid yourself. The die has been cast, and I didn't say that. God did. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, evil men and imposters are going to get worse and worse. Unless God brings spiritual revival to our country, and I pray, and you should pray that he does, only the return of the king of kings, not a president of presidents, is going to set the record straight. There you go. Okay, I got my political thing out of the way, huh? Pretty cool, huh? Find the little... But we're talking about time here, and if we're going to walk in the spirit, we have to make the best use of the gift of time. John MacArthur tells a story. And by the way, when John MacArthur tells a story, you're ready to lean in. He don't tell that many stories, okay? But he tells a story of, uh, of when he was young, he had a friend, his name was Eddie. Eddie and him were like best friends. They were both tremendous athletes. And both of them wanted to be pastors. One day, Eddie says, I'm gonna be a pastor. And Johnny, that's what they call John. Johnny goes, I'm gonna be a pastor too. And they grew up together, sort of exhorting one another to that end. Both John MacArthur and his friend Eddie were in catastrophic car accidents, one year apart from one another, different cars, different places. Eddie, when he was a senior in high school. John MacArthur, when he was a freshman in college. Both of them were catapulted from their cars. MacArthur slid over 100 yards on his back, on dry pavement, would spend three months in a bed in a hospital with road burns. Eddie died. And as I was thinking about that the other day, I thought, one ran out of time. The other was given a chance to redeem the time. And MacArthur says, as he laid on his back, he knew that God had his hand upon him and that he must give his time to God. And boy, did he ever, amen? He's 83 years old. He's been preaching the gospel for like 60 years. Hey, what are you gonna do with your time? What are you doing with your time? Are you redeeming it? Because that's what the scripture is calling us to do. If you're gonna walk in the spirit, 
then you gotta learn how to buy up the opportunities that God, the God of opportunities, brings before you. Secondly, if we're gonna walk in the spirit, you, need to cho- you, you do so by choosing God's wisdom over your foolishness. He has several contrasts here, does he not? Look again, verse 15. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There's all these contrasts. Our walk must be wise, and if it's going to be wise, we need wisdom. And the wisdom is found in the word of God. Wisdom. Principally speaking, the wisdom that comes from above that we so desire, we all desire it. Some of us pray for it. We should all seek it, is inextricably tied to the word of God. And allow me to shoot myself in the foot with a book coming out in just a week. Here's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12. Of the making of many books, there is no end. Can I get an amen? And the much devotion thereof is weariness to the flesh. So what is the conclusion of the matter? Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the end of all men. In other words, so many of us are so quick to run to this author, run to this author, run to this guy, run to this gal. God has given us his wisdom. And it's found in his word. And he tells us in verse 17, he wants us to understand. The Greek word literally means to put facts together, which, by the way, is exactly what happens when you understand something, right? It's like, yeah, I get it now. God does not want to keep you and me in the dark. He wants you to understand his will. The will of God doesn't have to be a mystery. You don't have to worry about the will of God unless you're out of it. Then you ought to worry. We ought to desire wisdom and understanding that comes from God and principally comes from his word. And we ought to be like Solomon who said this in Proverbs chapter two. Look at how how he put it. He said this, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining, the idea is to lean into your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, oh God, oh let the words of your, my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your word. If I lift my voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. If you're going to walk in the spirit, then you not only have to make the best use of the gift of time that God gives to you, but you've got to reject foolishness, your own personal foolishness, and choose God's wisdom over it. I cannot count the times, and I'm not exaggerating, I cannot count the times that God has simply used his word in my time with him to direct me in both major and minor decisions. I mean, just the other day, this happened to me. Otherwise, why do we say your word's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, if it isn't? But by faith, you go to the ultimate source of wisdom. You read the ultimate source of wisdom. You draw from the ultimate source of wisdom, and you get wisdom, the wisdom of God. 
So walking in the spirit involves rejecting the foolishness of chasing after the wind and everything else that so many of you are rushing after right now. Running here and running there. You ought to run to God and hear from him. Psalm 19 verse 7 says, if you'll do that, if you'll go to the word, the Bible says he makes simple people wise. Is, can I get a, anybody a simple person besides myself here? I'll take it. That's a promise from God. Psalm 119 in verse 98 says, he makes me wiser than my enemies. I'll take that too because my enemies seem to be piling up. But it makes me, he makes me wiser through the word of God. And then on the, on the flip side of the book, Paul says to Timothy, he says in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Timothy, from Braphos, from infancy, from infancy, Timothy, you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you, anybody know the next word? Wise, very good. Wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. How beautiful is that? So you choose God's wisdom against your foolishness. So walking in the spirit involves rejecting foolishness and cherishing the word where ultimate wisdom comes from. And one more thing, and it's kind of a lengthy, clunky, but it's, I'll give it to you anyway. By obeying God's command to stay filled with the Spirit. That's just the only way I can put it. By obeying God's command to stay filled with the Spirit. I know that's a mouthful. But look at the text again. He says in verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Leave it to the Apostle Paul to take something bad and turn it into a good illustration. He says... Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then he says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And he doesn't stop there. Giving thanks always and for everything. Do you do that? Go like this. I'm pretty sure you don't. I don't either, but I should. And this is the secret how I can. Submitting, you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the point is obeying God's command to stay filled with the Spirit. And it is a command. If you've ever been pulled over for drunk driving, and I'm not looking for any testimonies here, okay? that it's possible that the police will try to determine whether or not you are, quote, under the influence, which is an interesting expression, is it not? And they'll ask you to take a breathalyzer, right? You know, you're gonna have to blow into this. Hey, what if I had a Holy Spirit breathalyzer on me right now? You blow into this. We'll see how much you're under his influence, huh? What would the reading be? Well, that's what's going on here. He's telling us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's commanding us. And what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? This isn't, listen, this isn't anything new under the sun, but mark it down. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be controlled by God. That's what it means. It means to be totally controlled by God. 
And I can, and, and you're not just, you're controlled by God when you're controlled by his word. I know that that's not just, you know, spiritual talk. The apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians from the same place, the same prison with the same Roman guard on him in the same room, writing on the same table probably as he wrote the letter to the Colossians. Same one. In fact, if you read Colossians and Ephesians, they're like parallel. There, so many of the same things are taught. And in Colossians 3, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Have you ever read that? Speaking and admonishing one another, watch this, in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, same repertoire, same program. Why? Because to be filled with God means to be controlled by God. To be controlled by God means to be controlled by the Spirit of God. But remi- I want to remind you, this is a commandment. Be, literally, be, be, it's a, it's a present imperative. So be being filled. So it's not like what happens at salvation. Regeneration is a one-time thing by God. Indwelling by the Holy Spirit, one-time event. Sealed by the Holy Spirit, one-time event. Not this. Filling and fresh infillings are repeated. And even though D.L. Moody was not a theologian, he got it right when he described you and me as leaky vessels. He said, in fact, he said this. Coming up on D.L. Moody here. The fact is that we are leaky vessels and we have to keep right under the fountain all the time to keep full of Christ. And so we have a fresh supply. And that is spot on. Just know this, dear friend, you are a leaky vessel. And you need the Spirit of God to fill you at all times. But now you're still begging more questions. So what does that even look like? What does that look like? I'm glad you asked. It's right in the text. Here's what it looks like. It looks like singing Thanking and submitting. That's what it looks like. Otherwise, you look at this context and you think, he's just sort of clunking other stuff in here. He's not doing it. He's talking about what it means to walk in the Spirit. If you're going to walk in the Spirit, you'll be filled with the Spirit. And if you're filled with the Spirit, they'll be singing, they'll be thanking, they'll be submitting. You see the singing here? Look at it again. You see the, re- you see the whole regimen, the repertoire here, call it what you will, addressing to one another. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts. There's five references to singing in that little grouping right there. Five. What are you singing? Psalms, that's just like singing truth, right, from the Word of God. Hymns, probably a compilation of, you know, scripture and theology, good truth. And spiritual songs, that's a, the Greek word is the word ode. We get our word, our, we get our English word ode from this word. It's like a, a love song. It'd be like a spirit-led love song sung to God. There's a whole, whole arrangement of music we can be doing as unto the Lord but what I want to draw your attention to is the next phrase, and making melody to the Lord with your what? With your what? With your heart. Making melody. That's the word melodos. We get, it, it's actually just a transliterated word into our English. Melodious. The word literally, listen to this. The word literally means to pluck. 
It means to vibrate. It means to, to twang, like you might do with a lute or a harp or a guitar. But notice where it's all taking place. He's not talking about a genuine instrument, a physical instrument. Look, he says, making melody to the Lord with your, say it again, with your hearts. When we sing like this, we're literally using our heartstrings. Our hearts become the instruments. And this is why, this is the key to what, this is the key to your own walk with God, how you get out of the slaw of despond in your life. He says, giving thanks always for everything. How do I do that? He's saying, you might want to try singing. Uh, submitting, who wants to submit? Are you kidding me? How do I do that? How about through singing? My wife and I have been having devotions parallel, like kids on parallel play, <laughs> for like 25 years. She's sitting here, I'm sitting here, we're having our devotions, we get done, I, I got this out of me, she got this out of that, you got this, I got this, and then we pray together, really exciting. Actually, it's, it's been way more precious than that. But I, I tell it to you like that because Oh, probably six or seven years ago, I was, we were sitting by each other and I was reading and just contemplating the importance and the power of music and song. And I read the 61st Psalm and I came to the very last verse where Paul writes, or rather the psalmist writes, so I will sing praises to your name as I daily perform my vows. And suddenly it just dawned on me, the, the connection between praising God and keeping my promises. And it just all fit. And I shut my Bible and I looked at my wife and I said, now we're going to sing. And she goes, what? <laughs> yeah, we're going to sing. And I think we just sang, we sang an old hymn and we began to sing together. It absolutely revolutionized our time with God. And we both testified how we would go throughout the day. It changed everything. It absolutely changed everything. Please notice in verse 19, it's, this is it's so, so overlooked. This is so overlooked, verse 19. Look what he says. Addressing what? One another. Addressing one another in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. The word addressing, some of your Bibles say speaking. It's actually a, what they call an onomatopoetic expression. It's the word laleo. It's, it's like just making noise. The word just means making sounds. And the sounds here are musical sounds, apparently. But it's kind of like saying la 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 la. That's what it is, okay? And, and But notice who you're singing to. We're singing, say it, everybody. One another. Years ago, it was, uh, it was really popular, uh, especially amongst teenagers and collegiates, they would say, you know, when you're in a worship place, really, it's just an audience of one. You remember that expression? It's an audience of one, which is just a bunch of baloney. That is so not true. You are singing as an audience of one from time to time with God, especially if the song is all about God 
and to God and unto God. And when we sing those songs, it should just be us before God as a congregation or you as an individual. But the truth of the matter is half of our songs are to one another as unto the Lord. By the way, there's evidence in the early church that the early church sang uh, sort of uh, antiphonically, like one choir over here, another one over here. In fact, if you go to old churches in Europe, you'll see long rows of, of like pews facing each other where they're singing back and forth. And sometimes it had to do because one, one, one particular choir would sing at a different octave than the other, but they were singing. Think about this. Just think with me on this. Many songs we sing, while ultimately to God, are written to be sung to one another, encouraging one another to embrace who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? If I order, listen to this. If I order you to thank God in your hurt, to submit to a difficult parent, or an ungodly spouse, or an unreasonable employer. It's almost too much to bear, wouldn't you agree? But put those same commands in song and something beautiful, something almost magical occurs. Is it not true that hard truth comes easier with song? It might all, in fact, it will come with tears. That's true. But when we sing and our hearts are the primary instrument, the Spirit of God gives us a divine willingness to sing even hard truths with the tears while thanking God and submitting to God along with one another. And that is what it means to walk in the Spirit. Are you? As we prepare for the Lord's table in conclusion, I want you to think on this. Some of you here, your heart is not an instrument of praise because you've never had a new song put in your mouth. The gospel, you've never embraced the fact that Jesus died and rose again for you personally. You've never asked him to come into your heart and take your sin away. And I'm asking you to do that today for the first time. Be humble, acknowledge your sin, repent to God, ask Jesus to save you. And he'll put a new song in your mouth. He'll tighten the bows of that heart and you can sing both to him and to one another. How about it? How about it? For the rest of you, ask yourself some questions. Are you really walking in the Spirit? If I could get that Holy Spirit breathalyzer, would it tell me that you're making the best use of your time, that you're choosing wisdom over foolishness, and that you're staying under the spigot, so to speak, because you are a leaky vessel, amen? That's what you get to think about as we make our way to the Lord's table. Keep in mind that these elements here are symbolic. Not going to make you any holier for the taken. But they represent the perfect life of Jesus and his sacrificial death.
you take those, sit down with those, examine yourself before the sermon, and then we'll take it together. Our Father in heaven, that is our prayer, that we would learn the joy of a life that's filled, not with craziness and busyness and running here and running there, but filled with you, filled with your spirit and all the accompanying joys that go along with being filled with the Holy Spirit. Make that a reality for us today, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.